0: Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of uh, the Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I know we are a week behind, so I apologize. That's definitely on my end, not on Megan's, but I'm Matt DeMarina. She's Megan Ballinger. You know we're your hosts. Um, Already starting this thing off great. Uh, So today, we're going to recap Creighton's matches against UConn and Providence from this weekend and get you primed up and ready to... uh, Yeah, it's Marquette Week. I like when it's Marquette week for because, like, you know, I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent here, but you know how you guys like the one match at a time mantra team, you know? So I hate when it's Marquette week, but you play DePaul first because then you can't, yeah, like,
1: because yeah.
0: <laughs> you can't dare bring up Marquette with Kirsten if DePaul's no. first because then you're going to be like, well, we got we have a really good DePaul team coming up first, so we got to deal with them, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to wait, like, five days, six days to ask about Marquette. So I'm glad Marquette's first. Um, That's the way the schedule laid out this time. So, yeah, Marquette's on Friday, uh, Friday night, 630 at DJ Sokol Arena. And then they'll play DePaul uh, for the pink out game on Sunday. So we'll get that previewed up for you guys as we we go along here tonight. Um, But uh, first, we want to start with looking back uh, because it's a wrap up show. So this last weekend, Creighton played at UConn and at Providence. So they were out on the East Coast. Um, The the, market, sorry, the UConn match is interesting, right? Because it's like it was a rare chance for Creighton to get some payback. That doesn't happen very often because usually, you know, if one team beats, you usually play them again later in the season. And, and, you know, the Jays don't get swept in Big East play. Um, But there was no rematch with UConn just because of the unbalanced schedule. So Creighton had to wait a whole year to get uh back out there to you know exact revenge. Um and it went very interestingly. I don't know. Did it go how you thought it was gonna go? Because I think first of all, UConn was 0-4 in Biggie's play, and you and I both know they're better than that. So they were probably gonna come out like with the A game ready to fire because it's Creighton one and two, they're pretty desperate. So what were you expecting going into that one, just from those two angles alone?
1: Yeah, I expected a really competitive match, and I know Kirsten even talked about it. She's like, I, I can't figure out, you know, why they're 0-4, you know. It's right. like I watch them on film, and they're really talented, and I think you saw that. I mean, throughout this whole match, especially in the first and second set, I mean, their setter was connecting with a ton of their hitters. Um, they played good defense, got good blocks, good block touches. Like, they were a very formidable team, I think. And I don't I don't know if Crane was caught off guard, you know. Obviously, Kirsten, like, prepares you for that and talks to the team about, you know, this team's really good. But, um, yeah, just an interesting matchup, and it really went down to the wire, um, you know. And then, of course, Crane had to come back and do the reverse sweep, which is really hard to do on the road.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I don't – it is interesting. an interesting question to ask why sets one and two went the way they did. I, I, I just find myself – I've watched it twice now, so – I find myself thinking it was more just about the way UConn was playing than Creighton not taking them seriously. Because I just think Creighton, I think Creighton was ready for that one. I think they were ready to go because they knew one, UConn beat them last year, Um, and two, they knew that physically UConn is better than their record shows. So I think when you're when you put the when you pair those two together, I don't think Creighton showed up. Uh, thinking they were just going to roll over some team that's at the, in the bottom of the standings. So I think UConn, I actually ended up giving a lot of credit to UConn when I was watching those first two sets play out. Because I, I think they just did everything better than Creighton did. I thought they passed better, they served better. I thought their connection from setter to hitter was better. And I thought their setter mixed things up more because they were in system a whole lot. So they had so many options that I think it made it really tough for Creighton to get kind of a grip on the match, you know, know what, know what's coming at them. Does that make sense? I don't know if I'm, if I'm trying to. Pick yeah. up. I'm trying to no, I think that's a record. really good
1: analysis. I feel like that's kind of, you know, we're just looking at stats and kind of just what happened. I think, I think that's accurate. You know, I don't want to say Creighton, you know, underestimated them, but I think, yeah, give them credit for sure. I think they executed at times and were able yeah. to go on some runs and close out those sets. And I don't think Creighton gave errors, you know, that much. I think they earned it. I think UConn really earned it. Yeah,
0: that's what I mean. Cause I don't think Cre- Creighton wasn't, uh, you know, higher offensively. They were a little bit predictable. They weren't very diverse, but I think that's cause they weren't in, in system as much as UConn was. And it kind of had to be, you know, Kendra didn't have many options when she was coming to that 10 foot line to get the set most of the time. So, um, but yeah. So what's the mentality like when Creighton is, you know, when you're down 0 2? Cause it's not, it, it is weird in volleyball. I know it's like, uh, you have to protect that 2-0 lead, but you really can't because it goes to zero every time. So you're just you're just trying to be the first to three. It's not really a protecting a lead you can protect, right? So what's the mentality when you're in the o two hole? We'll call it. Uh, h- how do you focus your mind to get back into that thing? Like how do you go? Well, how do you how do you transfer one point at a time when you're when your back is against the wall?
1: I think you just talk about it being like a new game. I mean, sometimes it's hard in the middle of a set to like reset. And as much as Crane wanted to get momentum to finish out that second set to hopefully carry it over to the third, it really is just the new start. I mean, mm-hmm. UConn obviously is probably feeling pretty good at that point. But I feel like that third set, no matter if the game ends up going four or five, can sometimes be a toss up just because if a team rolls you in the first two, they can let up a little bit. But yeah. I think, I mean, UConn still played really well, I thought. Um, Creighton, I thought, clicked a little bit better. Like, offensively, I just feel like the connection between the passers, setters, hitters was just a lot better. Like, it just seemed cleaner and more fluid, I guess. You know, you weren't just like, oh not a good set or, you know, not a good swing as much. I feel like in, in that scenario, I just thought the connection was a lot cleaner.
0: So, a couple of things. I want to start with what Creighton maybe did to UConn, and then I want to transfer over to what Creighton you know some of the good things that Creighton uh showed in, in sets three and four specifically. First of all, Kaylee Parker and Jasmine Davis for UConn pour Creighton up last year, right? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were they were on point, and it looked like they were just about to repeat that, you know what I mean? And then you're starting to think, like, maybe this is just a, maybe this is just a tricky matchup for Creighton because you know they're athletic, they're not the biggest uh pins in the world. But they, uh, you know, execute their shots really well. So when you look at Kaylee Parker and Jasmine Davis for the first two sets, they hit 314 combined on 35 swings. That's pretty potent stuff. And you're averaging, you know, about, uh, what, eight kills per set between the two of them right there. Um, Three and four and five, entirely different story. Uh, They hit negative 078 on 51 swings in the last three sets. So, what did you see that Creighton did to neutralize those potent pins, especially after they got off to a really good start in games one and two? I
1: thought they got a lot of block touches. Like, I just felt like they had hands in front of people, I thought. And, you know, maybe they just adjusted as it kind of went through. And I think even their defense in the backcourt, sometimes it's like, okay, this girl has hit this shot a lot, so, like, let's shade and make her hit somewhere else. Yeah. Um, I feel like you kind of saw that happening and Kirsten kind of be like, okay, like that she likes this, right? Like this is her primary. This is, you know, her first choice. And I think they just kind of game planned and were able to get block touches, um, get a few blocks and kind of adjust that defense to just anticipate more, um, you know, ahead of, of what those players were doing. Cause at that point you have shot charts of, you know, okay, where is this girl hit this, is, you know, through the first yeah. two sets. And I think if you, if you look at that, you probably have a pretty good indication of what those favorite shots are.
0: You know what's something that's interesting that Kirsten brought up in the post-match, too, was Kiara Reinhardt. And you've talked about this several times as a blocker. Uh, You kind of have to throw scouting report and tendency out the window and trust your instincts a little bit, right? Uh, She admitted that Kiara actually did, like, kind of, I mean, in baseball it's called shaking off the catcher, right? But, like, she kind of just, like, you know, Kirsten's calling something from the sideline, telling like, hey, watch for this, watch for that. And she said Kiara actually just kind of like shook her off a little bit and said, no, I think I should do this. And to her credit, he was right more often than not. So what what did you see from Kiara? And what A does it, or a B, what does it tell you that she's starting to trust her instincts a little bit more? Um, especially in a situation like that, because you're down 2-0. And if you start guessing wrong and going rogue and it costs you guys the match, it's not going to be a fun locker room when you get back in there, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the coaches obviously are the ones who break down all the data and they're like, okay, you know, primarily this would be the first choice. This is where the setter is going to set and that sort of thing. But I think when you're in the flow of it, like I remember times too where Kirsten would be like, where do you think they're going to set? And she would just like tell me, you know, just let me do whatever I want. So, uh-huh. I think from that standpoint, I just think it shows that she's she's reading the game really well. And once you get in the flow of it and get used to that setter and kind of what her tendencies are, if she's falling back, is she going to reverse it, that sort of thing? Like, you know, how much is the setter going to gonna put those risky sets and I guess? You know, not the typical set. So, I think mm-hmm. once you just get in that flow, I think you can just see it. And I think she did that really well and was able to get a lot of touches and get some stuff blocks.
0: Yeah. I mean, you could... It was apparent that she. I mean, it's not just the. I think you're talking about quality of touches too, because getting touches is one thing, but if you're actually like getting, you know, hard stuff like roofing players and it's coming back at them most of the time, and it's not necessarily going to your back row, and you're having to deal like if it's on their coverage as opposed to yours to to clean it up, that's that's a different quality of a touch, right? So when you're when you're thinking about Kiara and you hear that as a former middle middle blocker. That in the heat of a match, her instincts kind of take over and she trusts them and it works. What does it do for her going forward? Is it like when you come out of that and you were successful and you won, does it does it does it have a long ripple effect? Do you do you do you get a huge confidence boost from that in terms of how you feel on the court in later matches?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it just shows like maturity. I mean, she's still really young, obviously, but I just think you know it gives you confidence to be like okay I I trust myself and I mean a lot of that is just trusting your instincts especially as a middle a lot of times you're one-on-one if you're in the middle you know or you're trying to close to one side and if it's a perfect pass I mean you kind of have to give up somebody usually so Mm -hmm. I think it's just a confidence booster and I'm sure she will be in that situation many times going forward so and I think for Kirsten too I think she's like, okay, I can, you know, kind of trust her to make those decisions. And if I, if I need to be like, okay, what do you think? You know, you kind of leave it up to your players. And I think, I mean, that's, that's what you want at the end of the day. You want somebody that's really confident and, you know, reads the game really well.
0: Yeah. It's got, I think you're, I think you made a good point there too, because it's gotta be good. It has to be encouraging for the coaching staff too, to know that, you know, this player has some good instincts and then I can, you know, the, the, the conversation about scout, can be more back and forth as opposed to just A, B, C, do this, you know what I mean? Um, Because maybe, as a coach, you're not thinking of every variable, or you're just too data-centric, and a player, you know, just introduces a little bit of their instincts into the into the mix, and it, it changes a match, you know? But I think for Kiara, it's huge, because if you look at her playing experience, in-match experience, she's kind of just breaking out of that freshman year because her first year was the COVID year. So 2020, they didn't play a whole lot of matches. There were a lot of interruptions and it looked like she was playing some of her best volleyball at the end of it, which is kind of the way it goes for freshmen, right? Eventually you figure stuff out and you know, your tendencies and then you just start going to your favorite pet plays and executing those. And then once you're on film, then coaches start or opposing coaches start identifying your tendencies and taking them away And then you have to readjust to that and you don't really become like the best version of yourself until what that mid sophomore junior year where you take off and there's you have an answer to every question you that is posed to you. Right. So I think it's huge for her, this jump right here. And it wouldn't shock me if we see her go to a different level, because if you think about just her in match experience, she might be at that barrier where she's got a few things figured out now and it's not necessarily easy to take her out of a match or make her inefficient right
1: yeah I think we've seen that offensively too I think Kendra just continues to trust her more and she she'll get good swings in there I think earlier in this season a lot of their connection wasn't quite there you know maybe it's a ball she had to like tip over or throw over because it was low or kind of out of reach and that sort of thing so I just feel like her play altogether has just taken a step forward and you know from blocking to offense I think she continues to get better and better which is really exciting.
0: How would she do on the slide in your opinion? Cause that was one thing that um, jumped out to Kirsten. Cause you mentioned that, you know, the connection with Kendra and Kiana, which is usually automatic, wasn't there um, quite as sharp against UConn, but the connection between Kendra and Kiara on the slide was.
1: Yeah. I thought she did a really nice job um, running it. And I think she's somebody too, obviously she's very tall, so she can swing really high. And I think that's something Kiana does really well, swings really high. Um, so I think, she can continue to get better at that. I think, you know, Kiara, the nice thing about her is she kind of reminds me of me and that she'll hit, you know, off of two feet or she'll hit in front of the setter. And she kind of has every, you know, shot in the book as far as like where she can hit from. So it's really nice and they can kind of move her around if they need to or run something different or, you know, she can pull a blocker and um, create openings for other people as well.
0: I'm glad you're finally on board with that. She reminds me of you too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nora Sis, uh, I think we can make the argument, although it's not maybe the most high stakes match she's ever played in, certainly it might that might have been her best. Uh, you know, 27 kills on and 11 digs, so she had the double double, and she hit 357 on 56 swings, so that's you know, high volume. Obviously, I think because the offense was so predictable and they were out of system so much because they had so many passing breakdowns, especially early. I think uh, Kendra and Nora kind of settled into the Kendra and Nora show in terms of where they were going to go with sets. And that kind of gives you a little bit of pause, right? Because you're like, all right, the offense is a little bit predictable right here. UConn is going to know that, right? At some point, they're going to figure out she's going to, you know, let's release four hands to her and make sure, you know, that's that's like make sure we were making that as difficult as possible but she kept putting the ball down you know what i mean so she wasn't just swinging away like you your your phrase is shoddy right she was mixing shots really really well and she just never wavered like she i think she hit 320 through the first two sets on 25 swings and then three and four when they blew them out she hit 458 so she really settled into that thing and it looked like she was doing a good job mixing shots, right? She wasn't just going up there and, you know, and trying to bomb the ball, was she?
1: No, and I think especially I think the first two sets for me was what was really impressive because a lot of those balls were well off the net, so you're not, like, in that rhythm and you don't have people pulling blocks for you. Like you said, they're releasing four hands to her, and, you know, in their – in UConn scout, I'm sure they're like, okay, she's our number one, you know. She's a, she's Creighton's number one priority, which is how it is, you know, for every scout of every opposing team, but – I think exactly what you said. Like she just makes up her shots, and I mean she elevates really well. I mean we've talked about that, so she can hit every shot, um, and you know she'll just blast some balls, and then the defense is back on their heels, and then she can kind of drop one in. So I think she did that really well, and just a really good all around match offensively. I thought
0: but she was crazy impressive because you, I mean you're you're watching it, you're going. A little bit predictable, you know. You keep going to Nora. You start seeing yeah. like the, you start seeing the attacks pile up, and you start seeing everyone else's kind of stay level, and you're like, you're not really, you know. Creighton loves to have that offensive parity. You know it from your playing days. It just makes everything so difficult to defend because if you have, I mean, you guys are, are obviously the talent is there. So if you have three or four hitters going, I mean, you're you're making the defense guess and pray at that point. So yeah, just. I, it was a little bit concerning because her, like her said, like I said, her attacks were climbing. Everyone else's were staying level, but she kept terminating. And I thought, yeah, from that standpoint, probably the most efficient match she's ever played. So, um, and she, they needed every one of her kills, especially in, you know, as they were trying to build that rhythm to get back in the match. What was surprising to you about four game four? Because in my in my like view of volleyball. I see it in momentum swings, you know. So one and two go yeah. to Yukon. And then I kind of expected Yukon to like relax a little bit and Creighton to be desperate in three. So I wasn't surprised that one got out of hand because I think I was expecting Creighton to respond and for UConn to kind of be like, you know, let's just fill out. Let's just keep playing our game and, you know, if it gets sideways we'll get it back, you know, when it resets to zero in, in game four. Or we'll come back late in three and build some rhythm there. But four was even worse than three. I was surprised by that. So what did you see in four that maybe I should have been prepared for? Because I was a little bit surprised that both of those were lopsided. I was expecting expecting three to be lopsided. I wasn't expecting four to be.
1: I think since how, you know, three went the way that I did, the 25 to 15, I think I could have expected Crane to kind of bounce back and then get that fourth set, because they're rolling at that point, and UConn's just like, okay, what's going on? You know, obviously, things were clicking for them in the first and second sets, so, yeah, and then to get beat in the third, I think, I mean, at that point, you're trying to sustain and just play better volleyball, because, I mean, I think their level just kind of dwindles a little bit, but... Yeah, I don't know. They had that, two, that 2-0 that you know, lead at the beginning. So I think maybe they just kind of took their foot off the gas a little bit. And I thought Creighton served really well, too, in that fourth set. And their serving pass, I think, got better. Because, I mean, they struggled, like you said. They struggled really early in that match with servant pass.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think it's just crazy that uh, – yeah, once once Creighton got clicking, they didn't fall off. So I think that's yeah. just – it, just, it just seems to happen within a match, right? So it's just an ebb and flow and UConn had it, then they lost it, and you feel like you're watching moments, right? Like, when's UConn going to go on a run? Because when that happens, the, the match kind of settles into a back-and-forth thing, right? Because then UConn's feeling good about themselves, and Creighton, who was feeling good, now all of a sudden has to get you know, their footing back. So I just thought three and four were very interesting because you usually don't see sets one and two go one side when they're really competitive. Like, UConn didn't blow Creighton out in either one of those games. But they were clearly the they were clearly the you know leading the charge there. like you Creighton was chasing the match um, through both of those games. Um, and then for three and four to just be complete wipeouts the other direction, I think that was really surprising. Um, but the fifth sets are always fun, right because you're only going to 15. So it allows you to kind of like calm down a little bit, right? When you get to zero and it's two two, if you can have a short memory and not really panic, um, five is really a coin toss, right?
1: Yeah, I think five kind of just tells you the story. I think this game was really even, and it didn't it didn't look like that in three and four, but I think the fifth set, you're like, okay, yeah, these are two teams that are, are pretty evenly matched, you know, as far as just the matchup of blockers and hitters on both sides, I thought, so... Um crazy fifth set, nine ties and six lead changes. Um, only in 15 points, which that's I just isn't,
0: think is crazy. That in, yeah, that's insane, right? Oh my goodness. Um, how about Ellie Bolton? I mean, that serving run I felt like was the difference right there. And that's pressure packed serving, right? Nine nine. You're toe the line right off the bench. Um and then so she's they scored the first two points on her serves, and then you can call UConn calls a timeout. And what happens to the server that's on a run after the timeout, Megan? <laughs> Usually goes right Isn't to the she, net, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you're, you're, she hit it right to the net. Yeah.
1: You get like, was... you get like ice not, not even bit, to the but... Wait, was that the one that wasn't even to the net?
0: No, 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 no. But Ellie didn't get ice. She had an ace out of the timeout. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The other, the UConn had the one where they served it like a foot and a half oh, short. Oh, yeah. Nice. Okay, I, nice. I think that's when they were losing the grip on the match a little bit there. Yeah, but, was... uh yeah, but I think that was crazy impressive by Ellie because, you know, you get those first few points and you're up 11-9 and UConn calls that timeout because they know, all right, let's stop this thing. Uh, maybe let's ice her. She'll probably put it in the net out of this timeout. You know, the percentages would probably say it's a high chance of happening because you're, you know, you have to reset as a server. And we'll get that back and then we'll try to go on under one of ourselves and put this thing away. And then she serves an ace. A hard, aggressive serve to the back row too. Like she was going yeah. for a hard, aggressive serve. She didn't she didn't play, you know, just one get me over the net and stay in bounds like she went to score and she hit it off the back row they didn't handle it well and it goes out for an ace and I, I just thought that showed a lot about what Ellie's made of because that's a that's a that's a gutsy move to come off out of a timeout and go straight for the you know the seam in the back row and nail it that was impressive
1: yeah, it was really impressive. Yeah, to go on a 4-0 run, I just think it's it's hard. It's really hard to do. And they were down, obviously, so the pressure is kind of building there. You know, you don't want to mess up. And mm-hmm. for her to be in that serving specialist role, I mean, that's why she's in there. And um, she's been really consistent all year, but I think this is a pressure moment that, in, you know, going forward might help her if she's in another, you know, one of those last few points of a fifth setter or something like that, you know, in the NCAA tournament. Yeah,
0: and I think we talked about her serving recently on one of these episodes, but you know she's really kind of having a career year in that regard. I mean, normally I, I, I think you would, uh, you know, you would assume that Keeley's probably like number one as the server, considering the you know the long um, career she's had as a as a as an effective person behind the line. But I think Ellie's actually been really sneaky good this year from the service line and maybe even maybe even is having a better year than Keeley is back there, which isn't a knock on Keeley. I think Keeley's having a great year as well, but I mean Ellie is, what's she currently at right now? Let's check it out. I know she was at like nine more aces than than uh, errors at one point. Yeah, she's at Oh, I gotta update the sorry. <laughs> like, I gotta refresh the stat page when you pull it up. <laughs> So yeah, she's at twenty two aces and only fourteen errors this year. So she doesn't have so Keely's leading the team in aces. Um she has seven more at twenty-nine. But, you know, fourteen errors, that's of Creighton's six main people, she's, you know, Keely has twenty-three, Sandra has twenty-four, uh, Witten has ten, uh, Kiara has eleven. So I mean, when you're when you're at twenty two aces and fourteen errors, that's First of all, you're not giving away points, right? Yeah,
1: those are good numbers.
0: Yeah, that's impressive stuff. Do you see anything in uh, her technique that's changed, or is it just maybe her confidence, do you think?
1: Um, Maybe just confidence. I think maybe she puts it in better spots, too, a little bit this year. I mean, I mm. just think, like you said, I think that that kind of emulates just what she's about. She's like, I'm going to hit really good serves every time I go back and – I don't think there's a point where it's like a freebie serve, you know, um, yeah. to the other team. So I think that's really important, and that's why they trust her to be in that role um, and hopefully go on runs.
0: Yeah, man, Creighton as a team is at 100 aces and only one hundred one errors. That's crazy to me. This far in the season to be that close to the one to one ratio, that's pretty impressive. That's pretty especially because they especially because they are aggressive, right? That's not they're not trying to be cute with it. they trying to keep it in. They're trying to get teams out of system because they know you know, how the impact of that. So that just jumped out at me. That was crazy. Sorry, I got sidetracked there. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so, either, you know, Creighton did come back and win 3-2 against UConn. So they exacted revenge. They lost the five-setter last year. They won it this year in dramatic fashion, made things a little bit difficult on themselves, but they were really impressive in 3-4 and 5. And they carried it over, too. So uh, UConn hit 296 in the first two sets, and then between the last three against UConn and the three against Providence the next day, Creighton um, allowed an 069 hitting percentage. So that's, you know, more than 200 points lower than what they allowed in the first two sets. So they they really did kind of uh, flip things from a few different angles. One, Megan mentioned the, the physicality at the block at the net. But, you know, it did start at the service line, too, because like Megan has said many times on this podcast, it, it kind of is like it sets up that chain reaction. You know, when you can serve aggressively and get a team out of system to the point where the setter's off the net and they only have maybe one or two options, those options usually aren't going to be high percentage. So you can, as a blocker, you have a better chance of getting a strong touch on those swings and reading where they're going more if you get a good serve that keeps the team out of system, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that's why serving is so important and putting in a really good hard-driven serve.
0: Yeah. So what did you see from the Providence match? was really interesting, right? Uh, Providence comes out, gets out to a 10-6 lead, Creighton calls timeout, and then goes on a 25-5 run, just completely wipes them out in, in set one, um, and then continues it in set two. What do you think flipped for the – J they just kind of get off to a little bit of a slower start maybe Providence was more ready to go at the jump and then, you know, the timeout just kind of helped them focus a little bit more maybe?
1: I think so. I think when I was watching it, that's kind of the thought that I had. Um And, yeah, they came out of that timeout and they're like, all right, we're not messing around anymore, you know. It's just like yeah. we shouldn't be allowing Providence to go on these runs, you know. I think that's mm-hmm. – That's the hard part. It's like, you know, that you can beat this team and probably give up a few more runs than if it was a different team. Um, But that's that mindset of like, okay, we need, you know, we need to put the ball down and we need to score points now. We need to go on big runs of our own.
0: Yeah. So, uh, set two was a little bit of a. I think some alarm bells probably went off, right? Because Creighton was up really big and they did not put that old thing away easily. Um, Providence went on a huge run to get back within. I think they got back within. I think they got it within two. I don't think they got it within one. I don't think they got it within one. But I think it was at like twenty three twenty one and twenty four twenty two and things like that. So they won it by three. Uh, Providence went on some huge runs, and you know it felt like Creighton kind of went backwards there because they hadn't allowed a lot of serving or a lot of scoring runs, you know, the last two or three weekends, right? So they had really made a jump forward there. Um, so that was probably a little bit disappointing to see. And it sounds like Kirsten got into them pretty good in the locker room at intermission. Um, because of that, so you know what it's like playing for Kirsten. Those were some rare moments, right? She's not a yeller. Um, she's not like you know. She's kind of a matter of fact kind of coach, right? Like a very encouraging, positive coach. Um, so what? What take us inside what that's like when 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 she has to break character there and get after you guys like (laughs) it's probably a little jarring at first right but you also know where it's coming from like you probably realize yeah that that's not great in volleyball that we just played in set two right there
1: yeah i think there's nothing worse than like disappointing her and i think that's like i mean i feel like that's why she doesn't have to yell because i feel like her players at least like in my experience i'm like okay well you don't want to disappoint her obviously Mm so um yeah and like they all know that that was bad. Obviously, they're like, yeah. "Why? Why could we not finish this match? Like, it, it's oh. unacceptable, you know, to be up that big and then allow Providence to go on that big of a run." So, mm-hmm. I mean, they deserved it at that point. But um, Megan would yeah, have and... loved
0: them too, is what she's saying.
1: <laughs> I mean, not yeah, that was bad. Um But they, I didn't think play, they did play. They did play
0: better that. in three. So it might have just. It might have been. You know, sometimes. Kicking the pants is just what's required. You got to be kind of matter of fact. You can't, you can't sugarcoat everything or spin everything into a positive way. If you give up a run like that when you're up twenty one ten, and they get to twenty two before you get the next four points, like you're, I mean, you're really going sideways there. You know what I mean? So you're probably thinking ahead because you're not thinking about Providence at that point. You probably think you have the Providence match in the bag. You're thinking about Marquette, Big East tournament, NCAA tournament, that kind of stuff, right? Because you want to be playing better volleyball as you go along every time you get on the floor is an opportunity to get better right so if you give up a big lead like that to providence and allow them to get back in the match you're kind of you're not just losing the grip on the set it's not about the set win anymore it's kind of about the type of volleyball you're playing and are you getting better isn't that that kind of what goes into it
1: yeah i think i mean that was a perfect example of like creating a lot of what they did was on their side of the net and i think that's a point where it's like okay even if we can beat this team, we can allow this team to go on runs, and we know that we can get a run on them, like, you want to continue getting better, and that's not going to prepare you down the road to play, you know, really high-level teams, because teams like that, are, you know, aren't going to allow you to go on big runs. So right. I think that's a part of it that, you know, at, at some point, it's like, okay, we know we're, you know, maybe more physical, more talented than Providence, but we can't allow them to, to go on runs. Like, we should be dominating, right? Like, they yeah. should they should have scored half the points they scored in the game. So I think, yeah, yeah. you know, that's, that's a hard thing. And, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, we're not allowing them to score more than this many points in the game. Right. Like we need mm-hmm. to keep them under this. So I think sometimes when you're playing a team like that, I think it, it's hard because you just know, okay, like, you know, we can relax a little bit and we'll still win. That's what, right. Of, that sort right. Of
0: thing. Cause yeah. Cause it, it does go to your point about, I think we've talked about this before and I know we talked about it when you were a player. Because you're going through the Big East Conference, right? I don't mean to laugh, but there's probably a good number of matches in there where Creighton doesn't need to exert all that much energy and have their A game to get a dub. You know what I mean? But it's not about wins and losses for Creighton because just winning in the Big East Conference doesn't necessarily prepare you to win in December. Like you have to, you have to somehow get better at what you at your strengths and shore up your weaknesses along the way while you're playing competition that isn't up to the level that you're going to face when you get through the, end of the tournament, right? So that's the challenge that Creighton faces every year for a variety of reasons, right? Like we can talk about that at a later date, but their commitment to volleyball is with a national championship in mind. They're trying to elevate themselves to a Final Four national championship caliber program. Not everyone in the Big East is doing that. So you're going to run into situations where you you just feel like, I don't know, you're kind of bored. Like you just roll out there and you watch warm ups for, you know, you all watch each other warm up. You to take turns, just one court. And you see things and you're just like, you're like, okay, well that's not going to be hard to handle. That's not going to be hard. To, and then by the time you get into the, the match, you're just in a mindset where you're just not trying to, you know, you're just kind of going with the flow, you know? But for that's what the focus has to be for Creighton, right? Because the challenge isn't necessarily what's in front of you. The challenge is what's down the road. And that's why you say all the time, you know, sometimes you go into these matches where you know that you're the stronger side. So you have to focus everything on how you're playing and not how the opponent is, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that's how you have to focus, I mean, so much on, you know, playing really good clean volleyball on your side not making errors you know you don't want to give teams points and for a lot of the teams that they'll play in conference like those are the those are the perfect teams that you're like okay we're giving up you know no errors or you know very very small amount of errors because you just you can you should be playing at a really high level and you're a better team you know fundamentally more you know more fundamentally sound that sort of thing I mean you have more offensive options your setters maybe better better blockers that sort of thing so I think that's the hard part where you're just like, okay, we need to dominate. And sometimes it's hard to have that urgency when you're like, we can get back into this, you know, like we can put one of our good servers back there and go on a five-zero run, that sort of thing. But teams down the road, you know, will have great offensive options where it's going to be really hard to even get a run against them. So that's, you know, that's the, that's the hard part about playing some of those teams in conference.
0: Yeah. Also, it's really unrealistic for you guys to have your A game every night in, night out, every point, every point. So the drop-off is inevitable, but as long as you identify it and correct it, that's kind of like the sign of a team that's progressing. And I think we saw progression this weekend in a few different areas. And one that I think is good for them going forward was that they had good offensive parity against Providence that they didn't have against UConn. So I think that's a good springboard going into this week because they can, I think a few different hitters are going into this week of practice with just a little bit of juice, you know? And then the fact that that Marquette is sitting there on Friday waiting for them in their own gym. But I think this is going to be a really interesting week for Creighton from a preparation standpoint because they're probably, like I said, there's probably a lot of players in the gym right now who are confident in what they just did this weekend individually. And I think when you see that Friday's a big marquee match in your own gym and you know it's gonna be a crazy environment, um, you know, I think this is like it's the perfect ingredient for a good springboard for players to elevate. Don't you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's gonna be a really, really tough matchup with Marquette, obviously very talented. Um But yeah, I think they'll have to look to some people maybe to carry a little bit more load. And obviously they're going to be keying on like Nora, Keeley, those type of people. So you could see like Ava Martin have a really big night. I think Kiara Reinhardt, you know, some of those people that have, you know, they kind of just do what they do. They'll get kills, that sort of thing. But, you know, maybe one of them is just open more and they're able to put the ball down. So I think it'll be interesting, but two really good teams, a lot of offensive options on both sides, so I think that'll be really fun to watch.
0: I, I just, I just can't wait. I love when this matchup <laughs> happens, and I'm so glad that both these teams are kind of rolling right now. Marquette's won 13 matches in a row. Their only loss is uh, this. the only loss is all season is at Wisconsin, and they lost in four sets. And wow. all the all four sets were pretty competitive too. I think he got a little bit out of control in the middle of those, like, but still, I think all four sets were pretty competitive for the most part. That's their only. That's their only loss. Hmm. They're rolling right now. Uh, they are. They're, certain, they're certainly rolling through the Big East. That's for sure. Um, so I just, I just, I don't know. I, I get juiced up about this, this matchup, and I'm glad it's on the Friday, because I think it just allows Creighton to lock in. Like they don't have to be like. You know, watching tape on some other team first and kind of trying to scout two at once, which I mean, they're going to do because they're going to scout to Paul at some point as well. But I mean, when the marquee matchup is right in front of you and you have a whole week to prepare, what's that like mentally from a player standpoint? Like how fired up do you get?
1: Yeah, I think it's just exciting. And obviously, like, on campus, it's exciting because, like, they're the other ranked team in the conference, right? So, it's, And it's always been Marquette and Crane. So I think that's yeah. the rivalry um, that has just been created um, at the top of the conference. So, I, yeah, I think it's really exciting. And like you said, it's, it's really nice to go into that week because, I mean, even if they were playing DePaul first, I, in practice, they would probably be practicing doing things for Marquette. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just the nature of it um, just because of, you know, the offensive options they have and all of that sort of thing. So, but yeah, I think it's, it's nice to just get really prepared. And in this week of practice, they're just like, okay, Marquette, this is what they do. We can focus on this and then we can talk to Paul on Saturday, um, you know, a day before and be prepared that way. So it's just, yeah, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. So Marquette has four players um, over two kills per set. And then Hattie Bray is at 1.93. So that's five dangerous hitters right there. Uh, Aubrey Hamilton kind of leads the way there. in The Notre Dame transfer uh, is really, really having a good year. I mean, kind of settling in to a pretty strong role. She seems to be their number one, uh, taking over for Hope, hope work. She graduated. Um, she's hitting 231 on 507 swings, so she's pretty efficient for an outside, you know, um, a high-volume outside, certainly. And, yeah, they just seem like a really dangerous, balanced, efficient, kind of offensive machine don't they that's usually kind of always what you expect from marquette they're gonna have multiple options they're gonna bring people off the bench that can hit and terminate um so what are the keys for creighton what do you focus on in this week when you know that a team has that much firepower like it's not just one or two key cogs
1: yeah, I think they're even maybe a little bit more balanced in Creighton, I think, statistically. Oh, um, for, sure. for sure. Offensively, for sure, right? Yeah. Totally so, agree with you,
0: yeah.
1: So, I think, I mean, the main thing is pass and serve, and I their passing broke down a little bit this past weekend, so I feel like that's just something that you kind of have to rectify. Um And then, obviously, we've talked about just serving tough. Like, you have to serve tough and get them out of system. That's how you're going to win the game. I mean, that's how you're going to get block touches. That's how you're going to know where to play defense at and that sort of thing. So, I think both these teams will be very strong at pass and serve. Um, Obviously, really great teams have to be. um, But – yeah, it'll be interesting. I think blocking, of course, I mean, that's an area that Craig continues to get better, but I don't think that's something that they're like, okay, you know, this is, you know, a key cog of what we're doing right now, like all the time. Um, so I think for them to block really well will be important as well.
0: I'm not surprised you said that, but I think you're, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm giving you a hard time. They will have to block well because they, uh, we've talked about it. They have not blocked up to that normal level. And I think this is kind of where the mat, I think this is, this is the match where you're going to find out, you know, how much that is really going to matter. Because will Creighton need to bring their A game from a blocking standpoint? Will they have to be at their best to stop this offense? And it's hard to imagine that the answer is no, right? Like, you just think, like, you're going to have to be able to put – you're going to have to be able to put doubt in some of these hitters' heads. When they're going up to swing, you know, are they about to get this thing blasted back into their face? because if you don't then those you're going to have multiple options that are going to settle into a pretty good rhythm and not really have a care in the world when they're swinging at you right like you have to have that physical presence at the net established at some point probably early in the match in order to kind of put doubt when they're going up and they're swinging you're not looking at hands right you're trying to get your footwork right and your time time your jump and everything but if you have to worry about what's in front of you at the same time, I mean, that's kind of the key to success, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think to make a hitter think about it, I think it's, you know, the best thing you can do there. If they're trying to, like, think about, you know, what shot am I going to do and that sort of thing. And, you know, mentally they're, like, in their head about it. I think you've done your job as a blocker if if they're at that point. Um, so, yeah, I think just – I mean, as great as getting touches is, getting stuff blocks, like you said, is – intimidating to a hitter and will make them think about you know where to hit it and maybe you know their favorite shot they're like it's not there anymore that sort of thing and they'll have to try to adjust um so yeah I just think and from a momentum standpoint I think this game I mean I'm sure it'll be a great crowd on Friday and that sort of thing but those types of plays at home are such momentum swingers that you just it's what you want you know it just kind of juices up the crowd and juices up your team the bench the coaches and so it's just really great um, from that standpoint as well.
0: Yeah. Megan's getting hyped thinking about blocking somebody right now. She might soon <laughs> up on Friday. Um, But isn't that where Creighton usually has, like, the advantage, though, in this matchup? Because they've – it is a rivalry, but Creighton has had, you know – I mean, it's it's been – there's been levels to it still. Like, Marquette and Creighton are the top two teams in this league, but it's a clear one and a gap. So hasn't it kind of the serve and pass – part of it and the, you know, just the defensive part of it been where Creighton has, has separated themselves from Marquette. Like Marquette has a lot of offensive talent, a lot of offensive firepower, and they usually have a pretty good libero, right? But Creighton usually blocks better than they do. They usually, um, big transition really well, better than Marquette does. Um, it's hard to imagine that going into this match, if it's just offense versus offense, that it's not going to be a little bit more advantageous towards Marquette right because of their balance and their parity um, versus if Creighton doesn't elevate and bring their A game from a blocking standpoint and you know funneling to those back row players if that if that's off, it feels like Marquette has a really uh, a really good chance to to get the win in Omaha this year, right?
1: Yeah, I think from an offensive standpoint, exactly like that parity. Um, you know, if they use everybody, and it it seems like they historically have this year. So, but you know, I don't know what the defenses look like. Um, you know, compared to each other, I think Creighton plays really good defense in the backcourt. Um, the blocking, yeah, has been kind of the question. Um, but I just think it'll be a really even matchup, especially with the parity on both sides. I think for the Creighton blockers and defense, it's going to be really hard to kind of figure out. You know where am I going on this person? Um, you know, back row attacks and that sort of thing. I think that's something that you haven't seen as much out of the other biggies teams like a really strong back row attacker. Um, so you almost have four options coming at you, and that's something Creighton um, tra- has been trying to get better at and you know, running more assists out of the back row. And so you have four options, that sort of thing. So I think this will be a team that you know kind of matches the style of Creighton a little bit better.
0: Is there what, um, do you think there would be a mental block at any point for Marquette? There's a lot of new faces on this team. They might not know exactly what they're getting themselves into beyond just it's another good team on the schedule. But I think in the past, Marquette has gotten a little bit mental in this matchup because they know Creighton's had their number for a long time now. How much of a factor does that play in this matchup? When, Especially with a team that like Marquette that has a lot of kind of new pieces that they've incorporated into, you know, into prominent roles? Does it matter at all? Or do you think it's a total reset and then both teams will be ready to go?
1: You know, I don't know. I kind of have the same, like, thought as well. Um, Just, you know, from playing there, I feel like we just always beat them. Even, you know, it was super hyped up. They're a really great team, whatever. But, like, I just feel like for whatever reason, like matches could have gone both ways, but we've come out on top a lot. Um, so maybe part of it is that, but like you said, I think there's a lot of new, new people, but yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. I think sometimes those things kind of stack up and you're, you can't really put your finger on, like, you know, why haven't they been able to get over the hump when they've had that talent and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but mentally, I think they'll be prepared. I think, I mean, playing in Omaha, I would assume it's kind of intimidating for teams coming in. Um, just because I feel like it's a great arena for volleyball and, you know, it'll be busy, I think on Friday. So from that standpoint, maybe it'll take them a little bit to settle in.
0: Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I'm just, I, I'm always curious about the mental side of it because I just, I can't imagine that from it's just human nature when you're matched up against, you know, an opposing force, right. That you have trouble beating or trouble overcoming that you don't go into that thinking. You know, like here we go again. Pretty early, I think. Like if you, you know, if Creighton gets off to like a seven-two run in set one, um, like does Marquette still start? Their coaching staff and everybody start thinking, like, Jesus man, I've seen this movie so many times. Like, how do we, <laughs> how do we get ourselves settled in here? This is just the same old stuff, you know. I mean, I think a lot of the Big East has that. You know, not everybody goes into the match. Like you can see teams look shook when Creighton starts to put it together. And there's, they just know there's nothing that uh, you can do about it, right? Marquette has something physically, and from a talent level standpoint, that can do something about it, yet you see them, you know, just come up short time and time again. I can't help but think that human nature kicks in, and they, they think it, they feel it too. You know, when Creighton starts rolling, I mean, that's just, you kind of just have to be like, all right, well, Creighton's on tonight. That's, that's going to be tough, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, I agree, I, and I think, we I, like, I had that with some teams. I feel like for us, when I was younger, it was, like, USC. We would play them in the preseason tournament, and for whatever yep. reason, we could never beat them. And not that, obviously, you go into it and you're like, you know, this isn't going to go our way, but it's just, like, there's a pattern here. And I think yeah. sometimes that can be frustrating Um, when you're like, okay, we've done this, you know now several times and it just has not gone our way so for sure i think there could be something you know in the in the back of your head um when you're playing somebody that you just haven't really historically been able to beat that often
0: for sure it's gonna be interesting um yeah and then they wrap up the weekend with de paul i'm gonna be totally honest i have not watched uh, much of DePaul this year so i don't have a good grasp on them and that's why I'm glad the Marquette matches first because I don't really want to talk about. I don't want to talk about DePaul. It's Marquette week, man. That's, that's all I'm focused on. I'm glad it's on a Friday. I'm glad it's Friday night. Because, um, like you know, as a player, like DJ Sokol Arena gets, um, you know, for being a smaller, like less than three thousand seat arena when you're when you pack it out, even it's a pretty special environment when it's when it's packed out and rocking, isn't it?
1: Yeah. When it's loud in there, it's a lot of fun. So I think it'll be loud probably on Friday. And I, for whatever reason, I always feel like there's a little bit better of a crowd on Fridays as opposed to Sunday as well. So yeah, for sure. I think it'll be, it'll be loud. I think the crowd will be really into it. Um, this is kind of the magic feel like in conference play that you kind of circle and you're like, yep, we're going to that one. So, Mm -hmm. um, it'll be fun.
0: Yeah. I do think there's gonna be a good fan turnout and, uh, I, I kind of have a sneaky suspicion that both teams are going to bring it and I think this year it's just a little bit more I think they're I think like you said earlier I think they're just a little bit um similar in how they go about things so I think we're gonna see a good match I wouldn't be surprised if it you know if every uh if every set the toss up and it goes the distance I wouldn't be I so I think Marquette matches up pretty well I think what the the roster they put together this year I think was um I think there was some intent behind it in terms of trying to beat Creighton. Does that make sense? Like, you know, I know that's you, you take a gamble when you do that because there's other matchups in the league that you might open yourself up to. But I think they just, I think they just put it, I think that they're just trying to get as many options on the floor as possible offensively. They have a setter who played at a really high level at Iowa Western and, you know, runs a really good tempo with that offense. And I think, you know, I just think it's going to be a really evenly matched volleyball match. You know what I mean? I don't
1: know. <laughs> yeah, I think – yeah, that's that's in my thought too, like looking forward. I just feel like it'll be a very good match of two evenly matched teams. Um Yeah. So I'm just excited to kind of see how it plays out, and like you said, I, I could see some drama there into extra points and that sort of thing, um, just because of the nature of of how it is. And I think that offensive parity for both teams will be really interesting to see.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, if
1: one team starts, you know, riding like one player more than another. Um, but hopefully they both you know keep that parity, and I think that'll make for a really fun match.
0: I think people should watch the serving mainly, right? Like watch yeah. the watch watch how those back rows are handling those serves because that might be your first tell in terms of like who's ready to rock and who's maybe not ready to go right
1: yeah i think that i mean the side out percentage is going to be really important as far as you know letting teams go on runs and that's something mm-hmm. that crane i mean they like let providence go on a really big run and that sort of thing um yep. So that's something they've kind of struggled with this year. Um, So I think it'll be interesting, you know, when you're playing a team that's a little bit higher level, um, a lot, you know, just minimizing those runs is going to be really important. So putting a really tough serve in there and playing great defense is just going to be essential.
0: Yeah. And the only team to beat Creighton at Sokol this year so far is Kentucky and can't beat Kentucky at Kentucky this year, so I just get I'm just getting juiced up thinking about that because like you're like ooh man maybe Marquette's like just got a little bit of a different mix this year, you know they got the they got the mental and the physical ready to rock and it's gonna they're ready to they're ready to bring it. That's what I want. It's funny. It's funny to me that Creighton keeps rolling them Um just <laughs> because you know that they're the top two teams in the league and that they're both at an elite level. Like I think they're both. I think it's accurate to say they're both. Perennial top twenty-five programs. Like I, I, maybe it's not totally accurate from a statistical perspective of Marquette. Like, are they always ranked? I don't know. I have to look back at that. But I feel like that's that's their top. If you just name twenty-five programs that you feel like are going to be good year and year out, I think Creighton and Marquette are both in that conversation. So, yeah, I'm just I'm fascinated by what what's going to happen on Friday because, um, yeah, I just think Marquette's got something different going on this year. So, hopefully, we see a really competitive, fun, high level match. That's what we all want at the end of the day, right? It's like something uh, that just like you could feel in your bones, you know? <laughs> th- yeah, I there's nothing
1: it. better than a Friday night. You're like, let's just play all the sets. Let's see some good volleyball. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it'll be fun.
0: All right. Well, that's enough uh, rambling from us. I think you have anything else you want to touch on from this weekend?
1: I don't think so. I think no, I'm just, just excited, re- looking forward.
0: You're just going to go watch some Marquette matches and get ready. (laughs) I think there's a lot of them still. We might be able to find some on YouTube. I think, you know, someone's always pirating something, so you can always find old Creighton Marquette matches somewhere. So, uh, yeah. All right, everybody, that's been our wrap-up of uh, the UConn and Providence weekend and a little bit of a preview, uh, maybe a lot of bit of a preview of the upcoming match against Marquette on Friday. But, yeah, that's what. Look, that's what you have to look forward to. So Creighton and Marquette will play. Let me just pull up the schedule so we're giving people accurate information here. Do, 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 do. Sorry. Friday is at 630? I feel like you said
1: Yes. That.
0: Yep. Okay. So Friday, October 14th at 630 p.m., Creighton versus Marquette. At DJ Silk Arena, both teams will be ranked in the top 25. I'm pretty sure both will have top 20 RPIs as well. Uh, going into this weekend, Marquette was 18 and Creighton was 20, so I, I, I'm pretty sure both will still be in the top 20 in the RPI when they go. So it's a big resume booster game for both teams. Resume booster on the line if you want to host um, and if you want to win the Big East title. So lots on the line this Friday. Uh, And then Creighton versus uh, DePaul on Sunday at 1 p.m. That's the pink out game at DJ Sokol Arena. So that's the weekend uh, preview for what the Jays have ahead of them. Um, So, yeah, for Megan Ballinger, the brains of the operation, I'm Matt DeMarinis, the loudmouth. Uh, Thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next weekend after the Jays play Creighton and DePaul. Have a good week, everyone.